All right, welcome, guys, tonight. Um, if any of you don't know me, my name is Rob McKinney, um, and JD's given me the opportunity to minister to you tonight. Um, we're going to stay at the same spot where he was at, so we in Acts 27. He was a little bit under the weather, so... So we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Um, thank you that these people have taken the time out of their schedules, Lord, the time out of their lives or nights to come and, and sit at your feet and worship you. And I pray, Lord, that um, you'd give me the gift to teach, the ability to teach, Lord, that I'd, I would give a message um, that's worthy of their time. Lord, that you would, uh, that you would just bless them. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and fill this room, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Am I too hot? No? Okay. So we're going to be in Acts 27. So um, is there something else I was supposed to pray about? I forgot. hope that's it. If I hope it may be Lord will remind me before I get to the end. Acts 27. So last week in Acts 26, just a real, real fast. So we're on Paul's journey to Rome. Forever and ever and ever ago, he promised that he wanted to try to get to Rome. That was his, one of his missions was he wanted to try to get to Rome to minister to the, the brethren there. So this is the process of how he's getting there. We know that, that um, Festus was the governor. Festus brought him in front of the council and said, you know, the Jewish leaders wanted him killed. Festus brought him in front and said, I'm going to take you to Agrippa because, well, for obvious reasons, I need to find something that's wrong with you because nothing I've come up with yet will work. So in the process of getting him to Caesar, he... Brings him to Agrippa. Agrippa says, I don't know, I, I don't find anything wrong with him. In fact, if he hadn't uh, appealed to Caesar, we would just have to let him go. And in the process of ministering to Caesar, so I guess tonight as the, as the teaching goes on, my thought and my, my, my hope is that we can see how Paul ministered through every season of this trip, even though he was in bondage, even though he wasn't necessarily always where he wanted to be. He was capable of ministering in every one of those situations. So right now he's in chains. He's ministering to Agrippa. Agrippa, who's a Jew, says at one point um, that you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. So even even him in that scenario. So all this time he's getting to minister to Everybody who's around Festus, everybody who's around Agrippa. Um, so then, when it's all said and done, he says, I find nothing that's worthy of him being imprisoned. I find nothing of death. So Agrippa takes off and gets out of the picture. So where we pick up in um, chapter 27 is the continued trip of Paul, right? Festus has got to go ahead and take him. He's appealed to go there. So in chapter 27, verse 1, it says, and when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of Augustan Regiment. So I didn't know what the Augustan Regiment was, so I kind of looked it up. We know from past, we know what centurion is. A centurion is somebody who, who is um, empowered over 100 men, leads 100 men, okay? Hence, in Centurion. But the Augustan Regiment, when I looked up that a little bit, I know what a regiment is because I was in one. A regiment is the next level above. It's like a battalion. So a regiment would be several companies. But the Augustan Regiment was, in particular, the elite force that belonged to the Caesar. So 
that gives you a little bit of background. They were sent out to do these missions that were specific to what Caesar's needs were. So that's how he got that position. So entering the ship, entering the ship of Adramitan, I'm going to mess this one up, Adramitan, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aaron, you got that map. Can you put that up for me? Because I'm used to teaching in the back. And as I was reading through this, like, all day long, thinking, I can't, I, I can't read it and track at the same time. So finally, I had Lori print me up a map so I could look at the map as I was reading through it. So now you'll be able to follow the map and kind of see what we're talking about as we go. It's an easier learning tool for me. Um, we put to sea, meaning to sail, along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a uh, Mesodanian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day, we landed at Sidon. So, okay, so we started in Caesarea, right? Then we're up to Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus. So when he's talking about under the shelter of Cyprus, what he's, if you look on the map there, you can kind of see. So the time frame that they're going in, and you'll, we'll get to this in a little bit, we'll figure it out. But the time frame they're going is like the middle of October. So winter's coming on. So as they're going around there, like this is the end of the shipping season. The shipping season typically, I learned, stopped in November and didn't recommence until like March, the end of March. So right now, in the, in the shipping season that they're, they're in, they're like hurried. But remember, they're trying to get to Paul to Rome as quickly as possible. So they said, okay, well, we're going to do this, and so we're going to go around under um, above Cyprus because it was um, out of the storm, right? It was protected from the storm. So under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea which is off Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of um, Lycia. So where Myra is, yep, right there, that's their next stop, okay? Um, there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So Alexandrian ship what they're talking about there is a big merchant ship. So before they were in a smaller ship coming through that pass, they get there, they get on a, a Alexandria or a Alexandrian ship, which would have been a big merchant ship like hauling grain and whatnot, a lot bigger vessel. Um, sailing to Italy, he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty of Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, off Salomon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Okay. So, the plan was from Snidus would have been to go straight across up to where, up where Italy is and then go straight up through their room. But because of the weather, right, they got sidetracked, boom, had to come down to Fair Havens instead of going straight across. Um, the port at Fair Havens 
we'll learn more about in a little bit, but the port at Fair Havens would have been, it was a smaller port. So we're talking about, again, the middle of October. They're getting ready to, the storms are getting bad. That's why they're there to start with instead of going straight through. So they're at a point now where they're like, okay, well, we're going to need to hold up for the winter. In fact, Paul goes on to tell them that. We probably just need to stay here. And they're like, well, we really don't want to stay here. You know, it's, it's a small little port. It's a town with one Casey's, no nightlife. Nothing happens at night, you know. So the sailors, sailors typically aren't that kind of guys. They don't want to stay at one Casey's hounds. So they're like, we want to go to Phoenix. That's where we want to winter. Okay, so that's where we'll kind of pick up. But anyway, that's where they're at. So going back to what I was talking about earlier, think about as I was looking at this map earlier, I was thinking about Paul, Paul's whole process. Paul doesn't care where he's at. He's content, right? He's been content in prison. He's been content in everywhere, everywhere he's been, whether he says content in all things. Um, so think about how many towns that he's touched as he's gone through there and how many people. Right now there's 276 people, uh, later on the scripture tells us, 276 people on this vessel with him. So he's getting to minister to these guys the whole time. He's getting to minister to the centurion the whole time. Um, and he, Paul's not real worried about the timing. He's not worried about staying in New Haven. In fact, that would have probably been way beneficial for him. But that wasn't the, the guy's plan. That wasn't the sailor's plan. But it also wasn't God's plan. As I was reading through this first time, I'm like, oh, they should have did what Paul said. They should have done what Paul said. And by the time I got to the end of it, I'm like, well, that wasn't what God wanted. And so God used these sailors and, and their whatever, their desire for a bigger town to lead them a different place. And I think that's a, I think that's a good lesson for me um, because I'm not always content necessarily where I'm at. And I think that's a good lesson um, not only like in my, in my, what I would can say my job is, you know, where I'm at with a farm and what I'm doing with that, but also in the church, also um, in my family life. You know, it's, it's just, we're, we're to be content in all things. So we're be, to be content where the Lord has us right now. Paul's content in all things. He's content in this whole journey. I think about a, a couple examples of that. And the Ethiopian, or the, the Philippine, uh, Philip, I'm sorry, the Philippine. The Philip, right? Philip, when he was, he was at Jerusalem. And huge revival taking place in the church, right? In the book of Acts. So we learned about that earlier. And there's this giant revival going on. And, and Philip's like right in the middle of it. And God picks him up. And where's he taking? Clear out to the desert by himself to see one person. And I think, oh, man, bummer, right? So takes him out there to see the Ethiopian. You'll remember the story. He's running along the chariot. And the guy's reading. You know, he's reading in the end. Um, Philip says, do you want me to help? Do you want me to understand it to you? you want me to explain that to you, what you're reading? Do you understand? And he says, no, I don't understand. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to teach me. And he says, oh, I can teach you. He ended up baptizing the guy, sending him back to Ethiopia. Well, was that beneficial? Was that one person beneficial? Well, certainly we know the end of the story, so we know it was. At the time, I wonder if Philip was like, oh, bummer. Everybody got, to, everybody got to be there and see the revival, and I didn't. And yet, from that one person, from that one Ethiopian that he got to witness to, a country got the gospel. You know, a whole nation got the gospel. I wonder if Philip was content where God had him. I hope that I am. You know, I try to be, and I hope that the Lord's done that for me. I hope 
I hope that I can be content to the point of, I'll, I'll tell you a real, another real quick story. I always go along. I'll tell you, I surely won't tonight. I'll tell you another real quick story. So I was actually here after, as after we first built this church, and we just moved in this building. We'd been over there in a the little bitty building and in the tents and all that business, and we'd just come in here. And I came one night, and I wasn't, I was just, I don't know what I was doing. I can't remember. It wouldn't have been much. I mean, I was just coming in like sweep or something just to, just to get ready. Probably not chairs because, like, I hadn't progressed that far yet. J.D. said, no, you can't do chairs yet. You're not good enough. I'm like, okay. So anyway, I would have been here working, and I, and I, uh, I come out of the building, and it was after dark, and there was a, we had the picnic table sitting out here, and there was a guy sitting out here, and, and he was just sitting on a picnic table. And I said, well, can I help you? And he said, well, I'd like to see the pastor. And I said, well, he's not right here right now, but I can get you his phone, phone, telephone number, and if you want to call him, you can, you can call him or shoot you, use my phone, I don't care. And he's like, no, I don't want to bother him. He said, I just, I just really need to talk to somebody. I said, well, well, if you don't want to bother him, I guess I'm not doing too much. So I sat down here on the picnic table and got to talk to a guy for, I don't know, 45 minutes probably, and got the opportunity to sit there and, and minister to this guy. And he wasn't looking for anything in particular. He just needed somebody to talk to. He just needed somebody to listen. And because I was available, because I was content in doing whatever job I was doing here at the time, at the church, and just, just coming in and doing whatever, whatever I was expected to do, the Lord put me in a place, and, and we're going to see this happen through this whole thing with Paul, the Lord was, put me in a place where I was able to be used, where I got the opportunity to minister to somebody that wasn't expected, right? It's just, I wonder... That night when I first got here, if I was thinking, man, I got to mop the floor or I got to sweep the floor, I wonder if I was content in that looking back. Because the Lord just brought that to my memory. I totally forgot about that until I was reading tonight. And I'm like, I hope I'm content in every job. You know, I hope I'm content where I'm at always. Um, and I think, I think this is an example of what we're supposed to be and looking at what Paul's done and the relationship he has here with, with these guys. Um, <clears throat> verse 9. Now, when much had... Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. This fast they're talking about, um, that's, it's Yom Kippur. So it's a time of atonement. And that's how we know that it was in the middle of October. So um, that gives us a time frame for it. Um, when the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. So, which kind of makes sense, right? If you're, if you're thinking just real world, right? The centurion's got Paul in chains. He's a tent maker. And he says, Paul says, wait a minute, I don't think we should go. I don't think this is a good idea. Well, Okay, if I'm a centurion, I'm thinking, well, of course you think it's not a good idea. You're getting ready to go to Rome and to prison. But with that also said, I was saying, as, as you know, I was going through the scripture, I'm like, but I know Paul's been shipwrecked before. So I, I look back, and in 2 Corinthians, where's it at? 2 Corinthians 11.25, Paul talks already about being shipwrecked three times. And he talks already about being spending a day and a night floating on the ocean on a... On just 
hanging out on a piece of wood or something, you know. So he's got some experience, but I, not that the, the centurion probably doesn't realize that anyway. If he would have, he would have listened to the boat owner. But with that being said, he, he, he doesn't trust Paul yet, right? He's like, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to trust uh, the helmsman and the owner of the boat. And because the harbor was not suitable for winter, the, ma- the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means that they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and toward the northwest and winter there. So again, on that map, you see Crete, um, we see where Crete is, so they're at New Haven. So they were wanting to get to Phoenix. And when I was reading um, earlier about the geography of it, that's like 68 miles. So they were like, well, we only got to go 68 miles, right? And we'll be there. Um, So anyway, that was their plan. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire. So in the morning, right, they made this decision. The south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. Now what that means is, is it was a typhoon. So when the ship was caught... And could not, and could not, head into the wind. We let her drive, and running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and, and fearing lest they should run aground on the sands, they struck sail, and so were driven. So, when they come off of New Haven, heading for Phoenix, they got in trouble. The big wind come, typhoon hit them. And so they're like, they put down the, put down the mainsail, didn't want to lose it. Um, and they just, they just got to let the ship go, right? They're just going to let it go wherever it needs to go so that they save it. Instead of trying to fight the wind, they couldn't fight it, had to put the sail down. They were going to upset turn the ship, so they put it down. So then they go um, until they get to... A place by Clauda, which is right there by Phoenix. It's spelled wrong on there. But anyway, they go up there. They get a little reprieve, and and the winds calm down for long enough. So the skiff, they talk about skiff. They pull this little boat up, right, the little boat that they use to get back and forth of land. They pull it up on the ship, and they're like, okay, now we got to tie down the the ship or, or undergird it. What that's talking about is actually taking rope and going from the top around the ship to the bottom and sucking it all in tight. Now, I don't know how that happens for sure. I didn't have the time to go ahead and read it, but I seen it on a movie one time, and the guy jumped off and swam under the boat in the middle of October in the ocean and come up the other side, and they hook these up, and then they, they squeeze them down all the way down the ship, right? It talked about every six foot that they would gird these things. So I can't imagine doing that, but it was a calm in the storm, so, so that's what they did. Um, verse 18, and because we were exceedingly, uh, oh yeah, yeah, and because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day lay thight in the ship, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared, For many days, 
and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So when they drop the sail, right, they're just letting the, they're letting the boat go. They're like, we just got to we'll figure out where we're done, where we're at. But for how many days? 14 days. So they drop everything. Where did I say? Did I say that? Uh, for many days. Okay, so no sun, no stars for many days. In those days, obviously, how they figured out where they were at was from the sun and the stars. Mostly they would look at the stars and figure out where they were at, pinpoint it, because they had maps to do so. And that's how they would have gotten back on track. But they couldn't. So they're out there just just roaming. They don't know where they're at. And so they're like, this storm is terrible. They finally just give up on it. Um, in our lives, sometimes I think that same thing happens. In my life, I think it's happened in the past where the storms of life come along, you know, and you're finally, you're just like, oh, oh, you're getting beat and getting beat. And as we talk about the journey, we talk about um, how that happens in our lives. I think that's how the Lord gets to us, right? I think when, when times are tough and you know you need help, like these guys right here, when times get tough, and this is a good picture, right? This is a good picture of what's happening in their life in this storm, in this ocean. That's a good picture for my life and probably for yours too. When time starts getting tough, that's when I'm on my knees. That's when I'm praying. When things aren't good, that's when I, man, I need help, right? And that's when I, we call out to the Lord. When things are super good in my life, if they'd have gotten to Phoenix, there wouldn't have been any of those soldiers calling out for help. If the Lord hadn't put me at a couple places in my life where I'm like, man, I need, I need help because I'm, I'm having a tough time, right? And that's when the Lord could minister to me. That's when I can look back at those times, and that's when I felt like I couldn't do it on my own. Right? I just, I just needed something extra. And that's when he could minister to me. That's when my heart was soft enough for that to happen. And I think we're going to see that through this as we continue on. Like at first, when, when Paul said, hey, I don't think we should go, they're like, who are you? And we don't, you're nobody. You're in chains, right? No, no, no. At this, and I like that last sentence, it says, now neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, and all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. That's, that's where the Lord wants us. That's where he wants us all, right? Um, I just skipped a whole bunch of stuff, but I, th- I suppose the Lord wanted me to. Um, as I was thinking about this tonight, I, I'm like, ooh. You know, we hear people say, well, what's the meaning of life? What's, what's, man, what's, I don't know why I'm here. I'm like, that's why we're here. We're here, our whole life, guys, our whole, our whole existence really is, is for what? It's for us to have a relationship with him. Think about when you really, really think about it, ultimately, our whole existence here on earth, our whole time, whether my life is, is 20 years or, or 10 years or 100 years, our whole existence really is for God to grab our heart and for us to know that we need him. For us to know that we need a Savior. For us to know that we're not good enough to get to heaven. And that we've got to have somebody save us. Right? When all hope is lost, and I, man, I can't do it on my own. I can't, I can't fix it on my own. I need more. I need somebody. I need somebody to help me. I need a Savior. That's really, that's what life's about. Now, 
there's a second part to that then. The second part of that is, is sharing the same opportunity with other people. Because ultimately, after 100 years, you know, really after about 150 years after you're dead, nobody knows who you are anyway. And then you're gone, other than what you've left behind, some memories and some people or, or some, you know, the gravestone. But what ultimately matters is where you're at, right? That's what matters. So this earth is, is here and gone. We're here and gone. We're memories to people. But what really matters is where we're at afterwards, right? That's what matters and, and how many people we can take with us. That's what's important. I see these guys when they, when they finally give up. You're going to see their attitude change now. Um, verse 21. But after a long um, abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. Whoop, I told you so. I knew he was going to get that in there, didn't you? And not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship, for there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. I'm sure Paul was praying for all these guys. I'm sure he was. Because he said, the angel says, God's granted them to you also. And granted um, you all who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So, I'm certain that he's been ministering to them too. I'm certain he's been ministering to the centurion. I'm certain that because he feels comfortable enough to now stand up and say, I told you so, and not get thrown off board. I'm certain because the angel come to him and said, don't be afraid, have confidence, this is, you're on the right path. You're going to Rome, right? You're fine, you're going to Rome. Um, angel said, there'll be no loss of life, um, but the ship's gone because you've got to go see Caesar. So now Paul can be super confident. He thought before, oh, this might be bad. But now he has reassurance. Um, and you'll see the guy start trusting in him. How come he has the reassurance? Because he says, I believe what God said. I believe what God said. So then I think about my life again. I think of it, oh, I believe what God said. God says, don't worry about your life. I got it. Okay. I got to trust that. I believe that. I believe that's what God says. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So if God's saying that to me, God said it to them also. I believe it. Even in the ship, even in the storm, even in the storms of life, he won't ever leave us or forsake us. You see that the, the people start listening to Paul through this. Um, and I, I, you see the confidence start to happen. In, this next, in the next couple of verses here, we'll see the confidence start um, falling on Paul instead of the helmsman, instead of the captain, right? Because of his confidence in what the Lord is giving him. I'm, I'm very thankful that I've got some guys in my life that have that confidence that I can look to, and I don't worry about what they tell me. I've got a couple of pastors, not only ours included, obviously, 
but there's a couple other pastors that I listen to that I don't have to worry about what they're telling me. I just listen, and I can submit to that authority. And obviously, we're, we're blessed here to have J.D. do that, right? And I can submit to that because I know what he's telling me is truth, because there's a confidence in the Lord, right? Very fortunate. Um, Verse 27. Now, when the fourteenth night had come, as we, were, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailor sensed, the sailor sensed that we were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. I found out the fathoms is about six feet. So that's something that'll come in kind of handy to know here in a minute, because I thought it was probably a lot further than that. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. So 15 fathoms is like 90 feet. And keep in mind, it's at midnight. Then Then fearing, lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, um, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, we cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Now, we went from Paul, from nobody listened to Paul, to Paul being like, if you just if everybody just stays on board, we'll, we'll be saved. But if they get off, you guys are in trouble. Paul knows he's okay. He's going to Rome. But they didn't have to sit and wonder or talk about it anymore. The, the, uh, the Roman soldiers just went and cut the boat off, said, nope, you're done, right? You're not going to sneak away. Um, it's important that they stayed in the ship. So they're 90 feet from the shore. They don't know it yet. It's still dark. Um <clears throat> But the temptation of getting in that boat, I can't imagine. Because I'd probably been that guy trying to get in that boat, right? It's 90 feet. They don't know it. But still, this boat's getting ready to sink. Um, no, you've got to stay in the boat. The Lord said stay in the boat. So they dropped their anchors. Um, it's important, though, that we stay in the boat. And as I was thinking about this, I'm like, okay. There's, there's got to be something there. There's more there than that. And I think it's important that in a relationship with the Lord, if we, if we bring it spiritual, I think that's the way that we can look at that too, is staying in the boat is staying underneath his wings. We often hear people refer to staying underneath the wings, right? In, um, I'll lie, I'll mess it up if I tell, try to tell it, but is it Psalms, Proverbs, and no, help Psalms. He talks about staying underneath the wings, right? I probably messed that up. So anyway, it's the same thing, though. The Lord's saying, stay under my protection, right? Stay in the boat. Stay in my protection. The angel said, if you just stay in the boat, you're going to be saved. The Lord says, if you stay under my protection, where I can keep you and I can hold you and I can take care of you, I'll do that. Guys, that's what we need to remember, too. We have a responsibility as Christians. We have a responsibility. When we give our lives to him, stay in the boat. Don't get out of the boat right? Like Noah, don't get out of the boat. Be smart about it. 
It's dangerous out there. It's dangerous out there for these guys. If they get in that, that skiff and go off, they don't know what's going to happen. And later we'll learn that the rocks would have torn them up anyway. Um, we just got to stay in the boat. The Lord says he never leaves us or forsakes us. Stay in the boat. Um, he'll, he says he never gives us more than we can handle. Don't jump out. He's got us. He may be moving us. He may be changing direction for us. He may be putting us in a different spot or making an uncomfortable in one place so that we'll go to another. How come? There's two main, rain, two main reasons we're here. Save or get ourselves saved, right? Relying on him for salvation and the others to get others saved. So I think about these storms that come across. Get ourselves saved, right? Submit to him and get other people saved. They can go to heaven too. They can have eternal life also. Right? And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day, and you, ha- and you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your survival. Since not a hair will fall from your head of any of you, And when he had said these things, he took the bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all them. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, and in all, we were 276. That's where we get to 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw all the wheat into the sea. So after they're done, they throw it all away. Get rid of it. I would I would have loved to have been able to heard that Paul, the, the prayer that Paul gave right then. As you're thinking about that prayer, and, and now he has their full attention, right? Paul starts eating, they all eat. They're confident in his confidence. And he gives thanks. And as he has their full attention, as God has their full attention now, I would have loved to have heard that prayer as he's thanking the Lord for the food and he's thanking the Lord for saving these people that he's been praying for. Because they don't know the end result yet, but they know where they're at right now and they know he already said that, right? I would have loved to have heard that prayer. I think confidence is bestowed, um, just like we talked about earlier. Um, I want to be that guy. I want to be so confident in the Lord and so confident in who I am in him, not in myself but who I am in him, who he is to me, that I can bestow confidence. I got, there's, there's, um, I'm very fortunate to have those people in my life that I look at like that. And um, when, when, when you can see somebody who's in a storm and having trouble, and they're confident, man, that's, that's huge. I love that. I hope I can be in a storm someday. Not, I don't want to really want to be in a storm. I don't want to say that. I hope that if I'm in a storm in my life that is tough, that I am that confident in the, what the Lord's doing in my life, that I can be that, right? That I can be that for somebody else. Um. It's good. It's good to be able to, to be that for somebody, and it's a good that we have those people in our lives that I can look at and say, man, he's, he's tracking. He's like, I, he's got it. 
I know that. That's good. Chapter th- or verse 39. Is that where I'm at? I skip ahead. Um, when it was day, they did not recognize the land. Okay, so they didn't, they didn't recognize it like, not that they didn't recognize land. They didn't recognize it like they didn't know where they're at. So because they didn't know where they're at, we're going to see here in just a second, that from New Havens to Malta is 500 miles that they've been on this trip not knowing where they're at. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a, a day, or they observed a bay with a beach unto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and let them in the sea. So they dropped them off the boat, just let it go. Meanwhile, loose, meanwhile loosing the rubber rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. So they throwed up the sail, they, they're just going to ram it in there the best they could right on ground. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up, broken up by the violence of the waves. So this is what that little skiff would have ran into had it tried to do anything at night. The fact that the two seas were coming together created a, a huge storm in itself. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. So what they did was, the centurion said, no, because why? It's got not, God's not planned that. That wasn't God's plan at all. How come? Paul's got to get to Rome. He already knows that. The centurion, the, the soldiers said, we've got to kill them all. Why? Just like the soldiers at the tomb, right? They said, oh, this and that. The soldiers at the tomb would have been killed if they would have let the prisoner go. Jesus, right? But they weren't because there was a plan. Anytime we talk about the soldiers uh, or the prisoners being released from prison, remember the prison guard that was going to kill himself when, the, when Paul, the gates were freed, and they said, you know, the gates are freed, and Paul says, no, no, we're all here. Don't kill yourself, right? So they were like, we're going to kill all these prisoners because we're not going to be killed for these prisoners. We're just going to kill them. The centurion says, no, we're not going to do that. How come? Because the confidence that Paul had in the Lord and what the Lord was going to do was bestowed to those guys, bestowed to that centurion. And he's like, no, we're not, we're not going to do that because there's more to come. We're not done. Paul's had the opportunity to witness to him. Um, on Malta, I can't help but think, Paul gets like five months with these guys. And I can't help but think that from this and from what they've seen the Lord do in Paul's life, that they're going to have the opportunity to be saved. I wonder how many are. I'm certain that that centurion probably is. We'll get to see someday. Um, God's plan was accomplished. When we look at that, you know, we think, okay, the straight through um, from Snidus up to Rome, Italy, that they were trying to get to quickly, trying to get Paul to Rome before the winter. All that said, that, that could have happened. And God could have had that plan, and he was still set in front of Caesar, and he still would have ministered to the household of Caesar. We know he does later, right? But how in the world was anybody going to minister to Malta? 
How were they going to get there? That wouldn't have been Paul's plan. Paul wanted to go back to Jerusalem. Um, Paul definitely didn't want to go to Malta. But we're going to see next week, because God's plan is not our plans, we get, we, we get the opportunity to minister to people. Paul gets the opportunity to minister to those guys for five months and the people of Malta, right? Gets the opportunity to minister to them. Um, anyway, I just think it's neat how the Lord moves us. Now, with that said, are we okay to be moved? There's different storms, as I was researching today, come across different storms, and, and, and it was interesting to think about. The storm of protection, right? So, like, I, I come across four. So, a storm of protection, and I was thinking, well, what's a good example of storm of protection? Noah was in a storm of perfect, uh, protection. Um, he was protected through the storm, right? Not everybody else was, but for him... It was a storm protection. Protected him and his family against everything that was evil on the earth. Everything that was bad, everything was wrong with it. Correction, storm of correction. We think about Jonah, right? Jonah says, no, I'm not going to Nineveh, Lord. I'm going to go my own way. And he gets on the ship, and here comes a storm. God said, yes, you are. And we're going to get you thrown overboard, swallowed by a big fish. That's a storm of correction. Storm of direction, okay? God wanted Paul in Malta. <clears throat> I, I suppose he just could have told him, just like he sent an angel telling the other, but he's like, no, I want, I want you to go to Malta. Storm of Direction got Paul 500 miles to Malta. He gets the opportunity to witness 276 soldiers, prisoners, whatever, whoever's on the boat. Um, that's a Storm of Direction. And Storm of Perfection and the best example I could give to that, guys, is the storms that we hit every day. That you guys, as you're running, as we're running through life, that you're like, man, what's going on, Lord? Everything just, this is crazy, right? My life seems to be nuts right now. And then on the other end of it, you're like, whoo, man, that was, I passed the test. I made that one. I did okay, right? Whether it be something as simple as somebody cutting you off on the street or anything. Those, those little bitty storms, those little bitty times are what changes us and makes us more like him. And as we grow and we grow and we grow in grace and knowledge of what Jesus has done for us, and we take those little storms in bigger stride and we set back like Paul and, uh, and become content being where he's got us, when he's got us there, and not upset that I'm behind schedule, upset that somebody cut me off. And just, man, Lord, make me more like you, right? Um, all of them got something in common, though. They all bring us closer to him, right? The goal is still the two things. The goal is still the two things that the Lord put on my heart, and I hope if I can give anything to you tonight, it's that. The two things that's most important in this world is our relationship with him, that we come to a, a saving uh, uh, that we come to the saving knowledge that, that he's given us, right? That the Lord's paid the price for our sins, that he's, he's given us eternal life in him. And really, guys, it's a, it's a matter of accepting that. And then we help other people get the same thing, right? So we get them to go with us, enjoy it. Um, look for opportunities to witness. 
The Bible says we're his hands and his feet. So look for opportunities. Paul, we've seen several tonight. And man, Lord, grant us the boldness that when we're given that opportunity to stand up and do what's right, stand up and do what he's asked us to do. Sometimes I have a problem in that area. Sometimes I'm not bold enough. And man, I want to be. I want the Lord to give me that. I pray for that, right? Anyway, um, I was super blessed by the study, learning about it tonight. And um, I guess if I can just relay any of that to you, it's that um, he wants your heart. He wants my heart. And he wants us to help him gather more people to him. And that's our job here, I think. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Um, Thank you for giving the opportunity, Lord, to be up here and, and put me in a position where I have to dig in a little deeper. And it's good for me, Lord. And I pray that you help me um, give it out in a way that was understanding, Lord, that, um, that your people could be blessed here. We want to pray for um, Ank and Mel's little baby, Lord, too. That, um, well, that you just help them, that you bless them. That you just uh, wrap your loving arms around them, Lord. You just make everything well. And we pray for JD and Mariah. That you just heal them up as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, Rod. We announced that there's no revelation study tomorrow night. No revelation study tomorrow night. Okay. Awesome. Thank you.